Well, thank you very much, and thank you all for coming on this beautiful morning when you could have all been at the beach or reclining in a hammock or something. I was thinking on a day like this, it might better just be me and a handful of people. So thank you all very much for coming. It's uh, uh, a delight. So um, I'm going to uh, attempt something very ambitious today. But before I do that, I, I need to just, uh, just inform you that um, a big bit of my back tooth fell out about two days ago when I was travelling around, and, uh, and it's very sharp. So I have a big clump of chewing gum in there, which is stopping it from being painful. So if at halfway through the talk you think, he's chewing gum, he's speaking at ways with words in the Great Hall at Dartington, and he's chewing chewing gum, that's what's going on, OK? So, but hopefully you won't, you won't notice as we go through. So... Um, Part of the travelling about that I did was uh, I was in Paris uh, two days ago, which wasn't as hot as here, I have to say, and uh, at an event which was really, really fascinating and kind of felt quite historic, actually. And it was an event that was called by the President of France, and it was about... Um, it was the first thing that I've seen organised at that kind of level that was about explicitly questioning what life beyond economic growth might mean. And it was chaired by the, uh, the president of the French National Assembly, and it was addressed by people like the former Prime Minister of Greece, and so on. And in his introductory uh, talk, the guy who was the president of the French Assembly said, we must be sober in our consumption. We must change our thinking. Renewable energy targets are not a constraint, they are a vision. The 1970s oil crisis led to France going nuclear, that's now coming to an end. Now what do we do? And they had called the event together with various people to really explore that question. And the woman, a woman called Laurence Tubiana, who was the woman who, whose organisation was facilitated, she said, the fact that we depend on growth is a problem because we don't have any growth. And that was really the, what was underpinning the day. So there are people from all kinds of different perspectives that were really looking at where does Greece go from now, uh, France go from now. They've had a whole big conversation recently there about energy policy, what does, what does France do now that its nuclear capacity is really coming to a close. And I was there representing transition, which started here in this little uh, market town in the South Hams seven years ago, uh, and is now there being invited to something like that, because those people are looking around and going, we seem to have a problem here. Uh, has anybody been thinking about this already? And transition seems to be the thing that often people are then looking around to. And one of the people who spoke there was Nicholas Stern, Lord Stern, who wrote the Stern Report about climate change recently. And um, his argument was, growth is possible, and it's dealing with the climate crisis that will actually be what turns the economy around. And he made a really interesting point, which I want to use to sort of address some of what I'm going to be talking about today. His point was, well, we have to talk about economic growth, because otherwise India and China won't take us seriously when we try and talk about climate change with them. And it's the same thing I talked to Ed Miliband a few years ago, and he said exactly the same. We can't go and negotiate climate change with India and China if we, if we question economic growth as an idea. Uh, because they won't take us seriously. But I really want to kind of explore that as we go through. And on the way on the train, on the way going up, I met a woman who got on at Tottenham, who'd been speaking here, and she's quite eccentric, and she said, uh, and she was asked, she asked what I did, she was very chatty, and I told her, and she said, well, I'm a fatalist. She said, fatalism is infectious. I don't believe we can do anything. I think fatalism is infectious. Well, what I want to try and drop in here today is something which I hope is equally infectious, and it's the idea of engaged optimism. It's the idea of what we can do when we come together with the people around us in a way that, that transition models. So I'd like if you could think of, think of today's session as maybe being like an episode of Tomorrow's World. 
if you remember tomorrow's world, or possibly uh, the launch of the new iPhone. Because what I'm going to do in a minute is I'm going to introduce to you 10 new technology, 10 innovations that have come through transition that I think have the potential to really be a significant part of changing the crisis that we find ourselves in. So just in a nutshell for people here who are new to transition, uh, it started initially with some work that I was doing in Ireland, sort of took root here in, in Totnes in 2005, and has grown since to being active in about 43 countries in about, there's about 1,200 official initiatives around the world, but we know that that's really the tip of the iceberg. In Sweden, there are five ones registered with us and 171 on their website, and we see the same around the world. It's an idea that's really gone viral. And at the heart of it is that actually, when we look at the crises that we face, maybe we can do something as ordinary people. Maybe there's a bit in between what we can do as individuals, changing our light bulbs, that sort of stuff, and the stuff that government and business can do. There's a bit in the middle, which is about when we get together with the people on our streets, the people in our neighbourhoods, and we see what we can do. And so the question really I want to pose, going back to Nicola Stern's thing, is can something like transition, can something that ordinary people such as ourselves do, actually ever be proportionate to the scale of the challenge that we face? And I think it can. So the three things that really underpin it is this, this observation that we've come to the end of the age of cheap energy. Uh, oil, which has really driven our, our economy for many, many years, is now getting very uh, tired. Half of the world's oil production comes from 110 oil fields. The other half comes from 70,000 oil fields. Of those largest ones, 16 out of the 20 largest are, are uh, in a steady decline. And conventional oil peaked in 2006. So our optimism now really lies on whether what's called unconventional oils, tar sands, gas fracking, these sorts of things that give you much less energy for what you put in and are much more climate uh, damaging, that they're somehow going to turn it around. And as one analyst in the States put it recently, they don't represent a golden age of fossil fuels, they represent a retirement party for fossil fuels. Climate change uh, is, 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 the other issue, so is another issue, so the International Energy Agency said recently that if we carry on as we're going now, we recently passed 400 parts per million, which is the highest level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere for about 3 million years. We've gone sailing past 400 parts per million with no plan about how we're going to not go past 450, 500, 600. If we stay on that plan, then according to the International Energy Agency, uh, we're going to be... That, that's a trajectory for getting to about 3.6, between 3.6 and 5.3 degree rise in temperature, which is a catastrophe. That really can't happen. And then the last one is really uh, economics and what's happening with the, uh, with the economy. And one of the figures that I read recently, which in other countries I think would have brought people out onto the streets, was in Mary Portis's Portis Review, where she said 97% of all groceries now sold in this country are sold through 8,000 supermarket outlets. So if, for simplicity's sake, we say the other 3% recommend, re represents the local, independent uh, economy, actually, we know from study after study, that 3% economy creates about three times more jobs for every pound we spend in it. It makes more money cycle locally. It leads to healthier economies. It leads to communities where there's more civic engagement. There was even a study from the US that said that it leads to more people turning out to vote at elections. If that 3% economy meets our needs more then at the moment, in our current economic situation, which of those two do we try to grow? Government policy seems to be to be trying to grow the 97% economy. I think there's a real role that we can play uh, in growing that 3% that economy, and that's, we're seeing that partly through the Telegraph's campaign at the moment about protecting the high street. 
And the assumptions that underpin all this are really important as well. So Germany assumes that the electricity demand will be fall by 25% by 2030. The UK's assumption is that it will have uh, doubled by 2050. Germany assumes that it will have a 10% fall in population by 2050. The UK assumes the population is going to rise by 25%. The UK assumes that we will see a doubling of demand for air travel by 2050. As a result, the UK is having a push for economic growth, which involves building high-speed railways, new airports and new roads. Germany is having an incredible uh, push for renewables, uh, where they're really leading the way in terms of all of those technologies. And um, Dr. Martin Shaw, who is a remarkable storyteller, who some of you may know who lives here, he says, a lot of opportunity is going to arrive in the next 20 years disguised as loss. And I think really what we're looking at in transition is something which is saying there is an enormous opportunity here. There's something that we can do about this. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to take a little bit of a risk today and I'm going to introduce to you what I think are 10 innovations that have come through transition and I'll have them here. So if you imagine if this were, if I was Steve Jobs, the late Steve Jobs, and I was introducing the new iPhone 5, and I would have him here, I think as I lifted this, there would be an audible sort of gasp, or perhaps a round of applause or something, so you might have responded appropriately as I lift the clock off this. business culture, government culture is so risk averse, you can't take any risks, because if it goes wrong, then you're rubbish. In transition, we create a space where you have a go, you try things out, it's a real kind of innovative kind of space. So, my first prop is this cardboard box, which is really much an innovation in my head, but it's really but one of the things that, um, that, that, that transition, transition does very powerfully is that it starts with saying we need a vision about where we go from here. The climate scientists I talked to when I was researching the book said, if we're actually going to avoid two degrees, because the government's target for two degrees actually includes a 60% chance that we go over two degrees. That's a bit like playing roulette with a gun with ten chains in it and six bullets. I don't like those odds, really. So the, the climate scientists say, if we're really serious about it, we have to start now cutting emissions by 10% a year. One of the problems we have, I think, is that when we talk to people in the place where we live and say, can you imagine this place here that's cut its emissions 10% of the year in 20 years' time, what's it going to be like? I think for a lot of people, that vision tends to be not that nice. I think it's like the Flintstones or something, or, or like we're going to be living in caves eating rolling potatoes. But I think actually there's a potential there to do something which meets our needs far, more, far better than actually what we have now. So this box is about vision, and it represents vision because uh, at the last uh, annual conference that we did, there were some people who, who created this fantastic activity where uh, everybody went into the big hall where it was, the Battersea Arts Centre, and they created, uh, in the space of three hours, a new economy. They created a high street, literally, we built a high street out of cardboard boxes and bits of string and bits of sticky tape, and this activity was like a big piece of sort of joint theatre, and then we inhabited this high street and we traded with each other, we had street parties in it, we had our lunch in it. And that sort of magic that you can do about how you bring people together to vision uh, a new economy is something that transitions are very powerful. Where's my little list? I'm working my way through. What's the next one? Oh, yeah, thank you. 
So the next one is, is uh, some basil, which I picked this morning from my garden. And uh, the Romans always said that uh, basil was the most powerful aphrodisiac in the world, and I couldn't believe that. And uh, this, this is really representing that one of the next innovations is, is transition itself. Africa. We have an approach which says there is an enormous opportunity here. There's a really historic opportunity to do something really incredible. And the idea that it starts with ordinary people, and the idea that it also builds in this idea that we need to look after each other and support each other through doing this. Often the kind of activist impulse is just to do. We just go and we do stuff. And we don't pay attention to how we relate to each other and how those groups hold together. And transition does that very powerfully, I think. So the reason that I picked some basil to represent transition is that one of the things that's been most fascinating about it is how it's gone all over the world. Started here, as I said, it's now in 43 countries. We didn't do that. People come up and say, it's amazing what you're doing in Brazil with transition. I've never been to Brazil. I don't do anything in Brazil. People in Brazil have gone, oh, this is good. Well, I'm going to do it. So this, this is to represent a place in Portugal called Porto Alegre. And in Porto Alegre, they had, uh, the, the economic crisis is absolutely dreadful. The average monthly salary is 450 euros. And the supermarket prices are much as they are here. A lot of the industry is gone, the place is really struggling. And Transition Porto Negre came together with the idea that they would support people doing what they wanted to do. If someone had an idea for a project, they would mobilise the people to come and help them. So there was an apartment block, outside the apartment block, there was a big sort of, uh, kind of grassy area, maybe about the size of this stage. And then on the other side was a shopping bar. This was just grass. And the people, some of the people in the apartment block said, We'd love to um, create a food garden on that space. So all the people came out from their apartment block and helped do it. Over about two days, they dug up a lot, planted all up, planted basil, tomatoes, uh, onions, lettuces. This isn't going to feed Porto Alegre. This isn't going to feed one family in Porto Alegre. But what it did was it gave people, for the first time, the experience of working together again. It became a catalyst for all kinds of other stuff. It gave people whose experience was that if you try and make change happen, nothing happens. The experience of what it looks like when change does happen. And as part of the book, I spoke to one woman who was involved in it. She said, It's amazing. I've been in Porto Alegre, living in Porto Alegre forever, 37 years, and I felt my community and my city crumble, people turning their backs on each other. This community garden we created tells me it's possible to do things with other people. We just need to wake up to each other again. And another place that I talked to was one of place in Spain called Coin, where there was a fisherman who was really excited about transitions. So he got everybody really fired up about doing transition, and there were all sorts of projects going on. And then he had to go away to sea for four months. And when he came back, the whole thing had run out of sea and fallen flat on his face. So he got it all going again. All sorts of projects went away again to sea, came back and all fallen flat on his face. So then he put a lot of attention into how it was going to work, and now it's really thriving. They've got all sorts of projects. And he said to me, people feel there's a big shift happening. But they don't know what it's a shift to. I feel Coinly and Transition's biggest achievement so far has been to catalyze an openness to this shift and its possibilities. And that for me is what, what Transition does very powerfully and why I think it's one of the innovations that we're really going to need. The next uh, innovation is, is, is an idea in the next case. And it's the idea of community resilience, as in making our communities more able to, to deal with change and shock when it arises, as it increasingly is. That we see that as an opportunity, but also we see it as a form of economic development. All too often, the idea of local economies and community resilience is seen as a bit woolly, a bit sort of something that you kind of get behind just because you like the idea of it. There's no economic case for it. 
Well, this is something that we produced recently here at Tottenham, which is called the Local Economic Blueprint. There's also one being done for uh, Herefordshire, the county of Herefordshire, and one being done for the neighbourhood of Brixton. So we have a market town, county, uh, and an urban neighbourhood. The idea is to say, where does all the money go? Where do we spend all our money? How much of it goes through the independent economy? How much of it goes through supermarkets? So, and no one had ever done that before. So we now know that in Tottenham, for example, uh, we spend £30 million every year on food, of which £22 million goes out through just two supermarkets, 17 and a half through Morrison's. So more than half of what we spend on food goes out through one single supermarket. And that's something which, um, uh, you know, is, is like sand running through our fingers every year. And we have a much bigger local food economy in this town than most other places do. So in most other places, it's probably more like 90%. It's going out from those supermarkets. But it means now that we can say, because this, we did this not just as Transition Town Tottenham, but with the Town Council, the Chamber of Commerce, the District Council, uh, lots of local organisations. It means that we can now say, do you know what, if we could come together on this, and we could push for 10%, if the local council could ship it to the by 10%, the local school could seek 10%. As, as individuals, when we go shopping, they say, well, I'm just going to make up the 10%. Just usually the fruit, the vegetables, the dairy, which are usually cheaper in independent shops than in supermarkets anyway. Then that's £2 million a year coming into our local economy. That's economic development. And that's really important. So that's, that, I think that's one of, one of our one of the innovations. And the next one is my phone, which I can't change to the event of the phone. But the, 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 um, the idea of this is one of the innovations that's come through transition is the idea that uh, a pay-by-text system so one of the things Transition Network developed with the New Economics Foundation is an open source application where you can uh, have a system where you, you go shopping with local shopkeepers and you pay by text. And it's part of uh, Bristol Pound, and this is the Bristol Pound, passing you out. Anyone here from Bristol? Do you have this in the Bristol Pound? Yeah. So the Bristol Pound is the local currency scheme for the city of Bristol. Uh, and you have there these printed notes here, which in a little space where on Sterling it says, uh, signed by the Governor of the Bank of England, it says signed by the people of Bristol. And the notes were designed by the people of Bristol. And the idea is that you can only spend them in local independent shops. And many, many hundreds of them now take the Bristol Pound. And the city's new mayor, George Ferguson, in his inauguration speech, announced that he would take his full salary of £51,000 in Bristol Pounds. I don't think he has a mortgage, I don't know quite how that works, but he, um, I'll pass those around and look at those. Um, but that innovation about the, the, the pay-by-text system is really, really useful. And they also do it in Brixton, so I went over Brixton Pound. And that's something, again, which is available, it's open source. You could do that in your community, you could pick that up and, and, and run with that. The, 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 the fifth one I don't actually have a prop for, because I thought I'd keep the animals there, uh, is really about how transition is becoming uh, a, a, another form of development in the developing world. And we really designed initially transition as something that would work, uh, that was for the, for the sort of over-consuming uh, West, if you know. But where we ended up was with pulse starting to pop up. I went, oh, actually, I don't know. That's what this is. Uh, this is a plastic bottle. I wanted to get a bigger one, but I couldn't find one. But uh, in one of the townships in South Africa, in a place called Grayton, they have a very active transition project there. And they do something called an eco-brick, where they work on the local tip, and they get the big, bigger sort of plastic bottles. And you pack it with a stick, with any bits of old plastic bags or whatever, so they actually get quite dense. And then you build houses with them. They build that with that and clay, and they sort of, it's like cob with these in between. So they build very affordable housing, 
and locking the carbon use up. Uh, it was very exciting. And in, and in Brazil, they have a, a transition has been doing a lot in the favelas in Sao Paulo. There's a place called Brasilândia where there's a very active transition project. There they don't really talk about people and climate change. There they come at it from the angle of social justice, dealing with violence, uh, empowerment for women, social enterprise, that sort of stuff. So, uh, so transition seems to be developing in that kind of a way as well. But again, because people feel they can pick it up and make it their own. It's not a Coca-Cola franchise. It's something which is sort of grows out of every place. Tradition in Brazil feels like a Brazilian thing rather than kind of an import from this country. Um, yes, a carrot. <laughs> this is a carrot. And uh, one of the things that the, the, the transition has been doing quite interestingly, I think, as well, is the whole thing of, uh, of um, what's called patchwork farming. But rather than the idea that you have to have a big market and big farms, actually across an area of a city, you can have lots of people growing small amounts of food. But how do you enable that to become more kind of viable? I think the, the, the potential of our, of our cities to, become, uh, to, to grow a lot of food is, is, is much underdeveloped uh, at the moment. So the way that they, in, in Crystal Palace, they have a system in Crystal Palace, they have a patchwork farm thing, where people all across the city bring in their produce, and then in the local market that they set up, uh, which has been a huge success there, and that, and that food is, is all made available through the patchwork farm. Uh, and in uh, Matlock in Derbyshire, they have a, a, a food hub system where people can put in any amount of food, and you just shop online, and you don't know whether it's coming from a farm under 3,000 weeks, or someone who's grown some salad in their back garden. So those ways of making some of back garden food production more viable uh, is really important too. I think another one is, is the idea of inward investment, internal investment. I got invited a while ago to speak at a conference in Manchester on something called Place Branding, which I've never really come across before, which is this sort of whole art of branding a town or a city to try and attract inward investment. So Plymouth, the city of enterprise. Or anyone, anyone from anywhere that has a somewhere of something? Do you know of your place? Bristol is city of, well, Bristol's now the green capital, I guess. But you know, there's that sort of branding with the idea to try and attract inward investment. But I think along with that, we really need this idea of internal investment. How do we invest money in our local economies to try and make that happen? Can we have the, 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 the right approaches to enable that? So this is uh, from Bath, Bath and West Community Energy, and their share launch. So they, were, they came out of transition Bath, transition Caution. They wanted to start a renewable energy company owned by local people. And actually, they, were, they had developed a model whereby Scottish and Southern Energy invested a million pounds in them to get them started, which meant that they were able to then do a model where they, um, uh, where they did their first share launch. They were able to offer a good return from day one. So it meant that when they did the share launch, a lot of people moved their self-invested pensions into a community-owned energy company. It meant that when they did their first share launch, they raised three quarters of a million pounds in about two months. It meant that that then gave the local council the confidence to invest two million pounds in a local community energy company. And you start to get a sense then of the potential of if we invest into our local economies, what we can do. One of the big terms at the moment is like impact investing. Well, for me, impact investing is where you can walk down the street and you see the community around you changing because of the investments you've made. And those kind of models are really emerging now. This is um, uh, my ninth one, this is Transition Streets. And Transition Streets is something that we developed here. Anyone here from Tottenham who did Transition Streets? Very good. Okay, so Transition Streets, for those of you who are those people, 
is uh, a project that, that works on a street-by-street -street level. It says if we want to help people reduce their carbon emissions, what's the best way to do that? Do we send them a leaflet? Do we send them a DVD or, or a link to a website? Or actually, could we have a process that works on a street-by-street -street level, that brings people together to work street-by-street? So transition streets, you, you, you knock on, you get out on the street, you knock on the doors, you get six to ten of your neighbours together, you meet in each other's houses seven times, you get this workbook. First week you get to know each other, second week you look at energy, you learn how to read your meters, you, kind of, you sort of have a, a circle, you meet with your neighbours and you say, well I don't actually, oh you don't understand what your energy doesn't mean either, <laughs> I thought it was just me. Or, oh you don't know where your water meter is either, well, I haven't figured that out. And so it really starts from very basic. At the end of every session, you make some things you're going to do before you meet up again. It's now happened, so here in Tottenham, about 700 households have now done it. But on average, and on average they cut their carbon by about 1.3 tonnes. They save themselves about £600 a year. But when I meet people who do it in the high street, no one ever comes up to me and says, fantastic, Rob, do you know what? I did change the street. I saved 1.3 tonnes of carbon. Actually, what I say is, it's great. And I know Dave over the road, and I know Sandra over there, and you should do that, it's fantastic. And we started doing this. A lot of the groups enjoy meeting each other so much they just carry on meeting afterwards. There's a community cinema that started up out of it, community orchard, various projects that have spun from it. One of the beauties of transition as an innovation is that those things can then be replicated. If one place comes up with something that's good, it can be replicated out through the other initiatives. So we're now seeing transition spreading uh, all over the place. And I was recently, I interviewed someone in Newcastle, in Australia, where they're doing trans the Transition Streets Challenge. And one of the nice stories from there was about a street, very urban, inner city Newcastle. And uh, there was a student house that people had always seen being a bit of a nuisance, it was very noisy, they had parties, they kept having social hours and all that kind of stuff. And the Transition Streets brought them all together. And they found that actually, that they had a lot of problems on the street of people being mugged and so on. And they found that actually they realised well, the students are awake much later than when they're coming and going much later, and they keep an eye on the place much more than, than anybody else does. And the whole relationship started to change. And then there were several times when people were in quite sort of dangerous situations on the street, and all the students came out of the student house and kind of uh, resolved the situation. So these kind of things only happen because people get together on their streets and start to do this. You can't legislate for that. You can't run a government campaign for that. That comes from ordinary people deciding to do things that are replicable. And then the last one uh, is something called the Local Entrepreneurs Forum, which we run here in Tottenham every year. The idea of the Local Entrepreneurs Forum is, if you want to create a new economy for the place where you live, you want to stimulate new entrepreneurship, you want to stimulate new ways that you can invest in that local economy, what's the best way to do it? The Local Entrepreneurs Forum is a day event that brings together uh, entrepreneurs, people with ideas, it brings together mentors, people who have skills they'd like to offer to support that, and it brings together potential investors. And we spend the morning sort of getting all meeting each other and all that kind of stuff. And in the afternoon we run something called the Community of Dragons, which unlike the Dragons Den on television where five uh, billionaires sit behind piles of cash and either invest in or humiliate over walks through the door, the idea of the Community of Dragons is Everybody in this community is an investor in the economic future of this town. Whether you can lend someone a pen, whether you can invest £10,000 in them, whether you can let them use your garage, you can design them a leaflet, you can make a film for them, whatever. Everybody has a role to play in making that happen. So we have four businesses who came along uh, and pitched their business, and uh, then took questions from the audience. 
and then um, and then it was open to and then people were invited to, to pitch how they wanted to support. I'll give hundred pounds. I'll give fifty pounds to forty other people. Well, forty four, a bit more realistic. Yeah, four or five other people. Well, one little girl at the back said, uh, "I'll give a pound to my pocket money to each of them." One person offered to uh, um, make a film for, for for one of them. You know, it was incredible. People people came away with land and stuff. And the other, there's a community supported agriculture farm down here who came wanting a thousand pounds in order to expand into a new field. They went and with three and a half thousand pounds, someone offering to make them a video, someone offering to make them a leaflet. They went away with 30 members for a vegetable box scheme they hadn't even launched yet. And that's what it looks like when a community comes behind its entrepreneurs. So the reason I'm clasping a bottle of beer is one of the enterprises that I'm involved in uh, here in the town is to start a new a brewery called the New Line Brewery. And the idea is what, what would a brewery look like as a social enterprise? Could you have a brewery that would bring out new beers with a specific intention of stimulating and supporting new business? And the very first thing that we did, this is the first beer that we did to commemorate that was available on the night we launched the book, which is called The Power of Just Doing Stuff. So this is called The Power of Just Brewing Stuff. <laughs> and what we want to do in September is there'll be a launch of a membership. And people become, can become a member and then can be involved in tastings and help to shape that. And then later on, there will be a share launch so that people can get involved in that. But that and we, we pitched at the first local entrepreneurs forum, and we're now in a position where we have an investor uh, and we've got a team together, and it's all kind of moving forward. And most of the businesses that have gone through that process have found it incredibly useful. Again, that's something that you can pick up and make happen anywhere. So that's my ten innovations, and it's just a, it's just a few of the innovations that have really sort of come through transition over the years. Um, so you could in that way think of transition initiatives as being like research and development units where they try these things out in such a way that they really scale. And most of those things maybe aren't necessarily unique to transition. Some of them may have come through it uh, and some of, them, some of them not. But to come back to Nick Stern's uh, thing about how we have to talk up economic growth because otherwise China and India won't really uh, take us seriously. I don't really believe that. I think actually here in the UK where North Sea oil and gas uh, is rapidly declining, where we're at the end of lots of very, very long pipelines, that actually we can tell a different story here. That we could say, actually, faced with these challenges, we've decided to do things in a different way. We've decided to put well-being to the fore. We've decided to really uh, rethink how the economy works, to, to stimulate uh, economies at the local level, uh, uh, to move away from, uh, from our dependence on carbon, to have a huge push uh, for renewables in a, in, in a creative way, but whereas here 3% of renewables are in community ownership, 50% of them in Germany. You know, so as a model of, of, of supporting local economies, it's really, really fantastic. I think we can tell a really powerful story that actually uh, would, would generate much more traction and engage people a lot more. So I asked at the beginning whether transition could ever be something that could possibly be on a scale that could, could answer those challenges. Well, I think we're starting to see how it could in four bits. So the first one is that idea of people come together as groups. And we see that happening all over the country. We've been doing that for seven years now. We have the resources, we have the tools, we have the trainings, we can give people the support to actually make that happen. That part of it, the communities come together and start this uh, work. So I was in Crystal Palace in London when we first launched the book. They've been going for two years. They've started, it's incredible, the sort of momentum they've built and all the projects that are underway. That bit works. The second bit then is to what we call re-economy. It's that bit about how you turn this stuff into livelihoods, how you support people 
and who come through this traction and start to create new businesses. That bit is emerging, but we see it happening in lots of places, and with some additional support, that bit really could work really well. The third bit is the blueprint that I talked about, that idea that you bring together the stakeholder of organisations in the place that you live to really try and measure the potential of taking this shift in, in how the economy works. That's been done in three places now. We're training another 10 communities across the country. Again, that could scale up very quickly. And then the fourth one is about how you then bring the investment in to drive that. So there are lots of philanthropic trusts who fund uh, community and environmental projects who invest millions of pounds as their kind of endowments wherever they can get the highest return in order to have the interest to give away uh, as, as, as charitable giving. But often that money is put into the things that actually trash the planet and trash the climate. And then the interest is given to organisations to try and then undo the damage caused by the, the key endowment. It's ridiculous. So maybe we can work, and we are starting to work now with some of those organisations to say, well, we can give you an incredible social return on that investment. If you can invest some of that money into this kind of thing, where you've got that whole sequence that starts with people at the ground, then creating enterprises, looking at it more strategically, and then driving that with investment, then I think we have something that could scale up uh, to be appropriate to the challenge. I think that gets very exciting. So, um, yeah, so I just, I suppose, one of the, uh, and I think that started to be spotted, and that was always most interesting about being invited to this thing in Paris, was that this process that has started here, as a sort of process that we made up as we went along, really, is now recognised as being ahead of the curve in terms of thinking about what the new economy is going to look like. And, what, and how we can actually stimulate that as ordinary people. And a guy called uh, Hurst Kuhler, who used to be the president of Prime Minister of Germany and the president of the uh, International Monetary Fund, he gave a talk recently to lots of um, car industry executives. And he said, I see transition... I don't know why he was talking about transition in the speech to car. Anyway, he was. I see transition as a wonderful combination of local civic engagement and a worldwide network. There is something out there, ladies and gentlemen... I'm deeply convinced that was set in motion some time ago. So we can do this, and we can start this. And it starts with people like yourselves in the places where you live, deciding that actually this is the time, and this is, this is what needs to happen. And a while ago uh, in Vancouver, there was, a, there was an article I was sent from a newspaper in Vancouver about the local transition project there. <coughs> and at the end of it, the woman who set it up was asked how she describes transition to people, what transition is for her. And she said, meet your neighbours, see what happens. I thought, well, maybe that seemed like a really good place to start thinking about, about where we go from here in terms of moving forward. So I just wanted to finish off with, with talking a little bit about um, Brixton, Brixton Energy. This is a share launch that Brixton Energy did um, a couple of years ago. So Brixton Energy came out of Transition Brixton. And the idea of Brixton Energy was... Uh, to, to start a community-owned energy company that local people can invest in. And they do a series of share launches for putting solar on some of the poorest uh, housing in the middle of Brixton. The Brixton Energy Solar One, which uh, wasn't this one, but there was the one before, they uh, raised about 60,000 pounds, people buying shares, and for every, every time they put up an installation, uh, they train local young people in how to install solar, and they also raise a fund for energy efficiency in the rest of the flats as well. Uh, and the first one they did, they reckon about 60% of the investment came from your sort of uh, white, more kind of white middle class, Brixton sort of green leaning people. The second one they did, Brixton Energy Solar 2, it was the other way around. About 60% of it came from the people who lived on the estate, who were taking £250 that they had in ISA 
out and putting it into a community-owned energy company. The return was a bit better, but they could see the impact it was having on the place. The word started to get around, this is a good thing. They had some really passionate advocates in the community telling people, this is a really good thing. They've just launched Brixton Energy Solar 3, and they reckon all of the investment is going to come from the people on the estate. But what really struck me, I went to Brixton and stood on top of that block of flats uh, with a guy who set up Brixton Energy, a guy called Agamemnon Otero, who was the first Agamemnon I ever met in my life. Fantastic guy who just has that real sort of transition, let's just get on with it kind of spirit to him. And we stood up on the top of this tower block, it took us ages to get up there, climbing up through hatches and ladders and things. We stood up on top of this tower block, looking out over Brixton. He pointed out where Brixton Energy Solar 1 was, pointed out where Brixton Energy Solar 2 was, and he said, we're going to do all of this. There was no sense of, well, we'll have to do a couple more and see what happens, you know. We're going to do all of this. There's no reason why we can't do all of this. And actually, when Ed Davey, who's the Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Change, launched his recent call for a renewable energy, a community renewables revolution in this country, the place he chose to go and launch it was on that very same roof. Because that was people who hadn't waited for permission from anywhere. They decided that what needs to happen starts now. It starts with them getting on with it and rolling their sleeves up. So that actually, whether you're Ed Davey, whether you're the President of France, and you start looking around and thinking, hmm, something's not quite right here. Where do we go from here? What do we do? What do we do next? Actually, you can find something that has created a space for the kind of innovation and creativity and, uh, and thinking that we really need now, but in such a way that it's just led and driven by ordinary people. So, um, I think that's all I have to say. And we have some time for questions. Absolutely. Thank you very much.